1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage, from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Pernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash the like. Come and join us in the chat. Get real interactive here on a Thursday. We are going to open up the big old bag of mail where we've got a lot of questions from people who have gone and given us a five-star review. And in that review, they have put a mailbag question. Going to talk a little bit about fan expectations. Um, is it really important to have your rival on rivalry weekend you know that last weekend in november some of the simple pleasures of college football and so much more but we begin as we have promised with a couple right off the top uh from the chat this one max jumping in 2 hours early to be able to get us going with everyone's favorite term if a team is a quote sleeping giant what kind of success do they need to reach to be woken up
2: that's a good question.
0: <laughs> it's a really good question. I would I, So first thing just off the top of my head is a conference championship enough to wake up a sleeping giant.
2: Well, I think it goes to like, what do you consider a sleeping giant? Like is it a program that just isn't winning national titles that you think should be competing for national titles. or Is it a program that like you said, you think could be competing for conference championships. I think there's probably different levels of sleeping giants. Like there's, REM sleeping giants. There's deep sleeping giants. You know, it's, I I don't know.
0: So I think that it has to do with resources and overall ceiling and teams that are competing for conference championships, but not making the move to national championships are not sleeping giants. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Illinois, North Carolina, the big state schools where you would imagine that there would have been more success. And that's where I think that it's more regional. I think you got to run off multiple conference championships under one coach to consider a sleeping giant awoken.
3: I think, too, I mean, I thought, I thought UCF was a sleeping giant probably like yeah. 10 years ago. And I think they've accomplished that. Like, yeah, they're not Alabama or Georgia, but they have a co-national title. But more no, importantly wait. like now they're now they're in the Big 12 and now they're in the mix and now they'll have a real seat at the table. So I think there's like the smaller schools, I think there's the schools that have maybe tradition. Like I think Colorado is a good definition of a sleeping giant because for 20 years they've been asleep. Now what would have them woken up? A Pac-12 title this year or a conference championship? Yeah, then all of a sudden I think they're woken up. Cuz I think yeah. and I think the reason you say like it's sleeping giant is woken because Think about what it does to recruiting, you know, branding, ticket support, nil support. Like, if you can get that first one, you know, and and start to get there, I think it helps. You know, continue that process.
2: I, I think it's an interesting thing because Chip, you mentioned like Illinois, North Carolina, and Illinois. I living here, and you know, being down there, like it has long been described by many people, like what you said, a sleeping giant, because being the flagship school estate, a state that, as far as the Midwest is concerned, is actually pretty talent deep, that they've had real trouble kind of cultivating for themselves as the rest of the Big Ten has come and raided it. So there's that kind of sleeping giant. But then what Danny's saying with Colorado or Miami, like when I think of sleeping giant, I think of Miami's and Nebraska's teams Mm. that have won national titles before and then just kind of went to sleep. And it's like, well, when the hell are they going to wake up again? Are they ever going to wake up? So That's what I mean. I feel like there's different levels. So I think it depends which program you're talking about. For an Illinois or North Carolina, like Illinois has got national titles in its past, but they're from a very, very, very long time ago, and they're not really relevant to this discussion now. So for them, I would think winning the Big Ten, competing for conference titles, they've awakened. For Miami or Nebraska, competing for national titles is when you're awakened or awoken, I guess would be the correct term at this point. My editor's not here right now.
0: South Carolina, not a sleeping giant.
2: No. I mean, right? I think in a SMU. way, I feel like, it, yeah.
3: Ooh. Yeah. I think SMU could be a good Steven, especially with the NIL support they're getting already. And if they get sucked up into a bigger conference, you know, if they go, but that's a who the heck knows how that thing's <laughs> going to play out. But South I think Carolina has one.
0: one conference championship. Does anyone know when it was?
3: Oh, okay. Was it old ACC yeah With, yeah South
0: Carolina football's only conference championship in program history was winning the Atlantic coast Conference in nineteen sixty nine Nice that's it, I don't go all the way to to sleeping giant right there but but there has you could make that argument when they were running off top ten finishes and double digit win seasons. That that was as close to awaking a sleeping giant as possible, and what Shane Beamer is going to look to um, prove, in my opinion, is that it wasn't just a Steve Spurrier thing. Because when we look back, it's easy for us to look at that era and be like, "Well, of course, you had Steve Spurrier. He's one of the like great coaches of the modern era." I think Shane Beamer wants to show that that success that can be had at North Carolina, at South Carolina, without just having uh, Steve Spurrier. All right, let's go. T- uh, speaking of UCF, we get this question every now and then, but uh, we can address it. Kyle says, what is a realistic ceiling for UCF in the Big 12 this season and in the future? The program has shown a desire to spend, but can it ever compete with the best in the conference in the future? Yes. I mean,
2: I, I, I saw the other season? day. This season? This season, yeah. Well, no, maybe. I don't think they're going to be. So, I don't think they be bottom of the rung this season. But I think in the long term,
3: I thought was really interesting is if you check the win totals for UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU, they're all really low. Like mm-hmm. the narrative of how how are these teams going to do when they have to go? You know, don't have a you know a slow week. Like how are they going to do when they have the gauntlet of a you know all Power Five schools in the conference? it does feel like it could be one of those years. I think UCF has the highest, if I remember correctly, but like Houston's is four and a half. Cincinnati's is pretty low. Uh, BYU's is low. Uh, I forget what UCF's is. But I think long-term they'll be able to compete, but I think they kind of have to catch up with some of the finances and spending that some of these other programs are. And you know what's going to help them tremendously? When Oklahoma and Texas leave.
0: Mm-hmm. That's yeah. In the future, like, they are Definitely. not – they are not that far from TCU Baylor, Kansas State. They mm-hmm. might be behind them this year, but they are not very far from that. And I think that they've got a, a good coach in place. So, yes, they can absolutely uh, be competing in the future for conference championships. Um, yeah, it's we got a-, a little go ahead.
2: I was going to say, because UCF's win total, Danny brought it up, is six and a half this year. And this was one of the things, because I saw DraftKings release their win totals for the Big 12 earlier this week. And what was interesting to me about it and why I think UCF can compete is because the, top, the two highest are exactly who you think they are. They're Texas and Oklahoma, but they're only at nine and a half. Nobody in the league is lower than four and a half. So when you take out Texas and Oklahoma who are leaving, the next highest program for this year is Kansas State at eight and a half. There is no elite team in this conference. And according to the win totals, while there's teams that are at the bottom, there are no absolute kind of, you know, dregs of the league either. Somebody will probably assume that role. But I think in a few years, like UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, I think they're all going to be able to compete. And when I look at those four, just from resources and kind of backing, like I worry if Cincinnati is going to have the same kind of problem that West Virginia's had being as far away from the rest of the league as it is. And we've seen how that's impacted West Virginia. But I think Houston, they have the money if they can get things together and get, you know, get right and get all pulling in the same direction. I think Houston can win a lot of games. And I think UCF can win a lot of games in that conference. So, yeah, I I think their ceiling is they can compete for Big 12 titles. But I don't think anybody in that league is ever really going to become, like, a powerhouse.
0: Which is, like... As the, the Big 12 tries to sell itself, one of the best things you can do to a media rights partner is try to sell the parody, right? That every single game, you never know who's going to end up on the winning side, at least in terms of a, a, a week-by-week interest basis. All right, we got a little breaking news here. Jeff uh, in the chat offering for some um, you know live reaction. It's been reported. Uh, Sports Illustrated's Pat Forty right now has the story that Notre Dame athletic director Jack Swarbrick will step down in 2024 and we don't even have to go through the admin athletic director carousel because Pete Bavakwa, I apologies if uh, if I did not pronounce your name correctly. I don't I don't know the chairman of NBC Sports Group, but he is the chairman of NBC Sports. <laughs> um hey, we are we are partners in promoting the Big 10, all right? That's a <laughs> That's our that's our cousin uh, when it comes to Big Ten football, uh, but he is going to be he is a second generation Notre Dame alum, and uh, he will be taking over as the athletic director. There will be better times than a live reaction to try to summarize everything that Jack Swarbrick has done throughout his tenure tenure as Notre, Dame, Notre Dame's athletic director. Danny, what's sort of the right
3: off the rip thought when you think about the leadership change there at Notre
0: Dame? A
3: couple things jump out. Uh, One, it's kind of out with the old, in with the new. And I think there's no coincidence it's 2024 when some of these massive changes are coming. That jumps out to me first. And then the other one is what is the new? The new are these TV players. Like, look at the new commissioner of the Big Ten. It's Tony Petiti. Look at the backgrounds of George Klyovkov and uh, Brett Jormauch in the entertainment broadcasting industry. We are a sport that is owned by TV companies. I mean that's just mm-hmm. that's what college football is in today's landscape, and this is just one more big sign that that's exactly what we are.
2: Yeah, and it's it also kind of gives you an example or an insight into what Notre Dame's athletic director job really is, because you mentioned conference commissioners. This is the athletic director that they're going to for a television executive and the guy who used to you know be running the PGA. So, like, it's not really the the role of the athletic director is changing now, too. It gives you an idea of what's really driving everything at this level. It's it's college football. It's getting the money. It is, you know, having somebody who works with NBC Sports and understands programming and television deals and all that kind of stuff, because that's what Notre Dame's new. You know, that's that's the direction they have to go. And if you're Swarbrick, you did a very good job for Notre Dame. I don't think anybody's going to feel too bad about anything that he did for them. They're all pretty happy with it. But now the landscape's changing and it's going to be interesting to see like It is weird because on the flip side of that, Danny, like you've mentioned, like Kevin Warren did not come from a college athletics background. Petiti does not come from a college athletics background. Brett Yormark does not come from a college athletics background. Klyovkov does not come from a college athletics background. And we have seen Kevin Warren did a TV deal without really clearing things with everybody he's supposed to clear things with. And there's been pushback on that that they're dealing with. We've heard recently that Brett Yormark is talking to schools about joining the Big 12, but he hasn't cleared it with the rest of his conference ADs. And it's just, it's like, these guys are coming in, and they don't really have an understanding of how this works. At least with Bivacqua being at NBC Sports, which has been a partner of Notre Dame for a very long time, and an alum, he has an idea of what how things work in South Bend and how things work in that athletic department. So, from that aspect, he might be—you know—he he seems pretty well qualified for the for the gig, just on the surface.
3: I mean, that gone also- are the days of the athletic director being an old coach, maybe a former mm-hmm. player, maybe a really nice guy who supported all the women's programs and was going to schedule things and be at every event to support his programs that's gone. His or her programs you you just it is a it is a much more of the business savvy negotiating position where And yeah, you'll see the athletic director still at the events, but that is such a small part of what they're doing now and what it's always been. It's just rapidly changed in the last 10 years.
0: Um, I hate that I keep coming back to a familiar tune, especially when it's not as impactful on this upcoming season, but it is something that interests me. Uh, Jack Swarbrick was one of four individuals on that initial college football playoff expansion committee. Mm -hmm. That initial group was Greg Sankey, Bob Bowlesby, who was then the commissioner of the Big 12, Craig Thompson from the Mountain West, and Jack Swarbrick. Swarbrick played an integral role in getting us to this current 12-team format. He's going to be out. And Tom, you mentioned 2024. This is when we are going to be doing those first years of the expanded playoff and really starting to think about what the next step looks like for the college football playoff. You know, Bowlesby gone, Swarbrick gone. All of a sudden, um, I think the idea that we could be looking at even another either expansion or reconfiguration of the college football playoff once we get beyond the 2025 season. To me, that seems even more likely now that we're going to have some new decision makers in there in that room uh, trying to figure out what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm.
2: And another aspect, too, you know, Vivacqua is the head of NBC Sports and working with the PGA, prof- a professional sports league. He's the athletic director of a team in a league which is rapidly professionalizing, and that's probably got something to do with Swarbrick's decision as well. He sees which way the wins are going, and he's probably like, I really don't want to have to do this. This is just not what I'm built for.
0: Oh, Swarbrick just being like, I am not. I don't want to be the face of paying the players.
2: Yeah, remember it's- the uh, the op-ed that they posted, like what, last year?
0: Oh no, that was like a month
2: ago, right? Two yes. I don't know how long ago it was at this point.
3: Do you guys? Uh, I'm ask a question. It might rile yes. up some people, but we did have some comments in the chat that said, "Hey, at least it's owned by TV, and it's not the PGA, and it's not the Saudis because of what's happened with Live Golf." If you're paying attention to what the Saudis are trying to do with this massive fund, I mean, it's I mean, what's it called? Like the Fund Twenty Thirty or something or like whatever, that. Yeah. They're trying to spread that money across the globe and to gain access into sports. And apparently, like, apparently they forced their way into golf. Like, they just, this was going to happen. Obviously, I don't think a lot of people wanted it to happen. Is it crazy to think that they could find their way into college football? Like, I think it's such a far out idea that if you asked me um, a week ago, I would have said, You're crazy. They'll never do it. But you look, if they really wanted to, I think they could, and I don't I don't think it's something that just should be completely ignore, ignored. I hope it doesn't, but I mean, look at the Pac-12. They are in a spot of desperation right now, mm. but the problem is, I don't know how that works with because it is about TV. How do you get the exposure? It's not just about the money, but if they said, we'll fund the players and we'll start paying them, I don't know. I, I don't think it's that far-fetched if they had somebody that was keeping an eye on it. I don't think they're interested in college football, thank goodness, or football because it's not really a global sport, but yeah. I don't think it's that
2: far-fetched. I think I think what you hit on just now is the key to it because like I can't rule it out, but if right. you look at what they have done, like the and this is my very uneducated opinion or viewpoint on this, what they're doing is they're kind of diversifying their portfolio. If you look at where most of the money for Saudi Arabia has been in its history, it's been in oil. The oil futures right now, depending on which way the world is going, we can't really be sure how valuable of a commodity oil is going to be 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. So they are taking they are diversifying their portfolio and they're expressing they're expanding globally in other areas to kind of, you know, soft power. Like if you put money in something, you've got say in something and that way you can exert your will on certain aspects of the world. And if you look at where they've invested, whether it's soccer or now, whether it's golf and into like Formula One. These are global sports, sports that are played all around the world. College football is an American sport. I don't know if they're ever really going to get into that because I don't know what gain they really have because they've clearly shown they're willing to burn money as long as it gets them the influence that they want. And I don't know if they would be willing to burn that money on a sport in which they're really not going to be able to. I mean, like with helping the Pac-12, what would that really accomplish for them? I, I don't know.
0: It would only be as a financial play, where it's the you know the value and everything else is is dropping, and live sports continues to be something that's going up. Danny, I have thought about that a lot in the last like twenty four hours, and what I have feel the strong most, um, I feel the strongest about is that American college football will not be like the next thing. You know, we will see mm. an NBA franchise. Like I think that basketball could be a spot where we basketball is more that. global.
3: Yeah. And right. basketball the just tennis, recently, tennis watch out. Mm-hmm. Um, they I just recently
0: is- changed their rules so that sovereign wealth funds can buy ownership in teams. Like that was a recent change that now all of a sudden, a headline that when you see it the first time, or at least when I see it, I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, it's, you know, pieces start to fall in line. So, you know, could it come to college football? I agree with you, Danny. It could. I just think that there's going to be other steps. You know, before we get to that point,
3: right. I, think might- I think they're going to try to buy a, a franchise, whether it's NFL or NBA, but you can't really buy a college football franchise. But that's why mm-hmm. I was wondering if they tried to buy a conference, but only that's not possible either. I love some of the suggestions from the chat. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> I think like- FSU versus TCU from Dubai, 8 a.m. <laughs> I don't know what it be. It might be 5 a.m. Eastern. <laughs>
0: hey, Big 12 is announcing its Mexico game. All right. So yeah. we're just going to continue to take this thing global.
2: To be fair, they had to move the World Cup into the fall because of the weather. College football is already in the fall, so we can keep the schedule going as planned. But (laughs) you you mentioned tennis. I don't know who the governing body is. I can't remember, like the government. But I bet you they're sitting there, they're they're staring at the phone, hoping the Saudis called and willing (laughs) to invest money in the sport,
0: (laughs) waiting for the all caps. Do you another question Mm
3: -hmm. about Swarbrick, Bavakwa, NBC? Does this increase the likelihood that Notre Dame? would join the Big Ten or is it neutral? Is it does it impact that at all?
2: I don't know. I mean I think my guess. Yeah, my pure guess is Bivak was a Notre Dame alum. He's probably gonna be kind of loyal to what the way they've always felt about that. But there's also been the speculation this week because like Notre Dame and Miami became AAU schools and the big 10 has always had the thing about you need to be an AAU school to get into conference. And there's, so it's, people are obviously like, Oh, this is Notre Dame and Miami trying to get into the big 10, which I think the big 10 would gladly take if they actually wanted to come and join them. But I don't think so. I think Notre Dame is probably pretty happy where it is. My CFP
0: anon tinfoil hat says, there's no way the former NBC Sports Group chairman is going to sign all of the rights over to the Big Ten and the Big Ten Network, which is owned Mm -hmm. by Fox.
2: Yeah. So Mm.
0: maintaining that Notre Dame-NBC sports relationship, this decision, again, just me being a tinfoil hat guy over here, uh, that that makes me think it is less likely that Notre Dame signs up to be a full-time Big Ten member.
2: The lesson is global politics, corporate politics, Really not that different.
0: Bailey in the chat says the Big Ten will have to bear hug Notre Dame for them to join, a term that I only learned from succession. I've never <laughs> watched succession. Bear hug. I didn't didn't understand it. Don't not quite sure if I do, but uh, but but certainly something to follow. Okay, so we've had a quarterback draft in a pass catcher's draft with wide receivers and tight ends. We've had incredible response from everyone. A lot of names thrown at us like, oh, why didn't you draft this person? Why didn't you draft this person? So we're going to kick things off in the big old bag of mail by peeling back the
1: curtain. Who is on our do not draft list? Next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.
0: Immense mental anguish. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Listen, I think that the Canadian Open is very interesting right now. You know? Yes. This, this is a, an event that has, like, Tiger's won it a couple times. He's got, like, some of my favorite shots ever have been from the um, Canadian Open. But the, um, the, the story around golf and then how much of it's going to be able to be put to the side, you know, who ends up winning, you know, what is the what is that person's take when they're spending all that time in front of the media should be very very interesting you know Maverick McNeely put out a long he reportedly was somebody who asked a lot of really pointed questions in the players meeting with Jay Monahan on Tuesday Earning he, put name. A, he put out a, a long statement discussing all of his opinions on the merger and then at the very end he's like and now i'm going to shut up because my golf game's not in good shape right now and golf is hard so I need to
2: <laughs> shut up and putt, man. Rick shut up and putt.
0: Um, all right. I, I gave a tease for this on Wednesday's episode. So now it's time to, uh, to break some hearts out here. We've done a quarterback draft. We've done a pass catcher's draft. Who was on your do not draft list?
3: I had three quarterbacks for different now, reasons.
0: Let's see how many of them are the same.
3: <laughs> hey, Who's not me? Watch your mouth. It's going to be the best list at the end of the season is what I think he's saying. I had Spencer Rattler. Mm-hmm. I had Dylan Gabriel, who I think I mentioned on here mm-hmm. when we did it. Um, I think Jackson Arnold could be the real deal. And I think if that season starts off slow-ish, uh, you could see a change there. And he's been injured. And if he gets hurt with a concussion, which doesn't take much nowadays, you could see issues there. And then I also had Connor Wigman at Texas Mm A&M as a do not draft because I, this is like, we all think it's going to be either boom or bust. I think, right. We can all agree on that. I think there's way too much uncertainty. He might be the guy next year. And we're like, how is he not maybe challenging for the Heisman, but it also could be, they could be playing three quarterbacks this season. And Jimbo takes back control of the offense. Like, I just, I don't know what the heck you're going to get out of college station. So The uncertainty there was why I'd had him as a do-not draft.
1: Yeah,
0: Bobby Petrino did have Lamar Jackson in a three-quarterback rotation. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Before he really took over. Um, I had Spencer Rattler. I had Spencer Sanders. With Spencer Sanders also being no guarantee. like Mm -hmm. My do-not-draft list, I I realized it came together because I was looking in my research at – Lots of other lists of just quarterbacks, and these are names that are you know ranked highly or included in some of those lists. That I was like, I don't want any piece of that, so no Spencer Rattler, no Spencer Sanders from Ole Miss, no Graham Mertz from Florida. Um, and I'm still spooked, man. I shouldn't be spooked, and I apologize to him. But Tanner Mordecai, like, <laughs> I know you want to show up to that Phil Longo train, and be like, this is gonna go well. Uh, but I'm a little bit spooked there. Those are do not draft, and then these are uh, two quarterback additions that I noted. I put them lower in my um, draft board than a lot of other people. So in in a sense, I was saying it's gonna the price is gonna have to get so low that I'll, I'll finally grab them. Number one, Bo Nix. Um, the take there was he is who he is. A little bit of you know what we had discussed where I I think that other uh, quarterbacks are much higher, and then the other one, and man, I. I love this. I have enjoyed watching the development and the perseverance of this player. It was the first round pick of Danny Cannell last year. Devin Leary. Do not draft unless it's like the right, right price. And some of that goes back to your Dylan Gabriel point because Devin Leary's had two season-ending injuries. In 2021, he had a fantastic season, 35 passing touchdowns, breaking Phillip River's school record, 3,400 yards and 35 touchdowns. Puts him in that conversation where in ACC history, the only quarterbacks with 3,400 yards and 35 touchdowns are like Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson and Devin Leary. you know. But, uh, but those, are my, those are the ones where I would have drafted if the price was right. The only do not drafts that I had were Spencer Rattler, Spencer Sanders, Graham Mertz, and Tanner Mordecai.
3: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We lost Tom. We lost Tom. <laughs> we lost them all together. Oh, uh, There he said, efforting. He's trying to get his way back. Did he say something too strong about the Saudis? I don't
0: know. Got, <laughs> got, got the he can pushed on him. <laughs> did, you have, did
3: you have any uh, Any wide receivers that you had on your do not draft list? I had Zachary Franklin. He was just like, it was just, you know, and it was something, a hot topic we had just talked about with him going to Ole Miss. It kind of flows along with who the heck is going to be the quarterback that is there. And I had Dorian Singer as one, potentially, I just don't know if he could get lost in the mix. Is he going to go be able to dominate that much at USC? So along like the transfer lines of being a new face, new place. And then I had a bunch that I kind of was like, okay, if one of these other guys, like I wasn't going to take a if I had Marvin Harrison Jr. already. I was only going to take one Texas receiver. And if there was one taken, I wasn't going to take the other one. You know, I just that was a little just personal preference.
0: Yeah, the uh, the chat is suggesting Tyler Buckner as a do not draft.
2: I wasn't I mean, drafting any Alabama QB, yeah.
0: Yeah, no Alabama quarterbacks for me either. Um, another suggestion, DJ Uyunglele. Again, another player who has not won this starting job. Like when we're sitting here doing the quarterback draft, you can't have someone who's still battling for snaps as we head into fall camp. Uh, Tom, who's on your list?
2: Uh, the people who cut my internet there for a couple seconds. Let's see, <laughs> I had... Everybody else like you guys, I also had Spencer Rattler on my list. I just like, I, I tried to keep my list of guys who I thought had a decent shot of being drafted to, but Spencer Rattler was not going to touch. I kind of, I considered these guys as a pair, Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders. Like you, I was just going to stay away from that situation entirely. Shadur Sanders. Nope. Just, I, there's, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in Colorado. He could have a great season. It could be an absolute disaster. Didn't want to end up looking like Danny's team next year. So I stayed away from him. Um, <laughs> Here's one, a guy that I really, really like, but I didn't want to draft because of questions about the situation. Frank Harris. UTSA making the move up. Zachary Franklin moving on to Ole Miss. Just, it's like, I still think he's going to be very good, but it might be a little bit of a bump in the road. Devin Leary, I don't know if you guys mentioned him while I was in the ether there for a second. Kind of scared of that. And then another one of Chip's guys, Tanner Mordecai, was not going to get drafted by me no matter what. And another guy who... I would have taken, but I didn't want to take in the first two rounds. And he did get taken in the first two rounds. Michael Penix. Little, it's not that I don't think he's good. I just, I remember the year with Indiana and then the next year. And he had a great year with Washington. And it's like, there's a little hesitancy. I don't think he's going to have that kind of a drop off again because I think the offense is good. I think the play calling is good. And I think he's got two very good receivers. But... I don't know if he's going to have the same year he had last year. And for like the first two rounds, I wasn't really excited to take that.
3: I'd say Penix more so for injury, too, because that was something that plagued him at Indiana as well. Is he had a couple, you know, injury. I think he had two ACLs. He was banged up a lot. He was getting hit a lot, but I think he's had a track record of not, you know, he's been incredibly inconsistent.
2: Yeah, and just accuracy wise, he can he can get loose at times. Yeah. So it, that's always a little scary. And then, did you guys do receivers?
0: I had yeah. Johnny Wilson.
2: <laughs> I have Johnny Wilson on mine. I didn't want him. It's it's too much of a Darnell Washington thing where it's like I'm I'm in love with the frame and the potential, but there it's still too much potential for me to want to use in the draft. And then my other one was your pick, Chip Evan Stewart kind of for the same reasons Dandy didn't want to take Wegman. I don't know what to expect from that offense. It's not a question of the talent. It's just I have no idea what I'm going to get.
0: Yep, very good point. Um, Ooh, a good question. K.J. Jefferson.
3: I had, had him not- subconsciously <laughs> probably as a do not draft. I didn't write it out, but I, I just didn't have him on my list. Yeah. He's, an, he's another one like
0: for me where I've seen K.J. Jefferson ranked very highly. On lists of quarterbacks going into the year, he's dealing with an offensive coordinator change.
3: No, he's lost some key weapons. Be interesting to see. I had one more that I actually had as a top ten not that long ago. Will Rogers. Mm. Who I think you could see a massive drop off in production. And I even saw some people saying, Hey, what about Will Rogers during the draft? Because I think he already had, doesn't he have 100 touchdowns or something? He's got, his numbers Mm -hmm. are insane. But new system, no longer the air raid. I think you could see quite a different uh, version of Will Rogers.
2: And also too, it's like Will Rogers is a very good fit in that air raid offense. But it's not like, you know, he's big, but it's not like he's got a rocket arm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a lot of short passes and intermediate stuff. So depending on what the new offense looks like, he's definitely not going to put up the same numbers because I just don't see any world in which they're throwing nearly as often as they were.
0: Yeah, the uh it's awkward. It's awkward to look at Will Rogers, a very productive player, and be like, sorry. It's all about scheme change.
3: I mean, that's what mm-hmm. Jordan's sitting in the chat, yeah. like, hey, what is it about? It's all about scheme change. I loved him what he was doing in a Mike Leach system, but how many quarterbacks have we seen either come into the system and flourish or when they leave, they're not quite the same quarterback? It's it's a very quarterback friendly system.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let's go into the big old bag of mail. This question comes from Aaron. This is the best college football podcast around. I am really enjoying Bud's summer school series. And yes, our thank you to Bud. He is putting in a lot of extra work to put together those school-by-school focuses. Be sure to check them out. If you haven't, um, they're going to continue to flow. Just flag them and and get them uh, whenever you've got a drive or you need to go work out. uh, Good extra programming here on the Cover 3 podcast in the summertime. Aaron says... You guys talk about fan bases having unrealistic expectations, but what programs have most recently boosted the realistic fan expectations for the foreseeable future? And on the other hand, what programs have lowered realistic expectations? Thanks, guys. Love the show.
2: Well, right off the top of my head, do we want to consider Michigan as a team that has – raised its realistic expectations because it has won the conference two years in a row. But I mean, I feel like for some Michigan fans that was always kind of an expectation that you should be able to do that.
0: But you took L after L Mm -hmm. after L to Ohio State. That kind of losing streak won't sit the same after getting a couple wins. Michigan is a great call. I had Tennessee. I think Tennessee has raised realistic fan expectations. I think... uh, I listen. I think those are realistic expectations. This is a I
3: program they, that for 20 years had the most unrealistic expectations in all they of college still, football. I now I think we're they just still one do. year into this and we're saying they're back. I and I think they I, but I do, do. I think for, but this is the first time. And I would say last season I was kind of mildly bullish on them. I didn't think they'd have the year they did. Like, I used to have a field day trolling Tennessee fans. We're like, we're going to contend in the East. And I'd just be like, no, you're not. You don't have any chance. But now you're kind of like, yeah, you do. So, like, I, yeah, I think they've raised realistic expectations. I think it's a good one. They're not contending for the East, but George is still there. But the idea but that 2nd are second, which yeah. just like,
2: uh, here's here's what I would love for our Tennessee fans. Like after last year, if you go 8 and 4, is it a good year or are you going to be pissed?
0: Oh, I think you're upset.
2: You probably shouldn't be.
0: No, I think that we're Florida, Kentucky, Missouri, like you you Tennessee should look at itself like the second best team in the SEC East.
2: Maybe yeah, maybe this year you're right, but I just think long term, I don't think what you saw last year is going to be the norm for Tennessee going forward. Because if, right, that, so if that defense is still I playing like eight that defense, to nine wins get, should be the norm for them. Yeah. But their expectations are higher than that. They think in their playoff team, they're thinking they're going to, you know, it's our producer who might cut my internet out again. <laughs> is that, you know, it's like 10 wins, 11 wins. You know, it's, I just don't think that's realistic for that program, at least not right now. If But when you say playoff, away, like that's huge. This
3: is one of those programs
2: that I think the expansion of the playoffs
3: is huge. Mm-hmm. because I think they will be in the mix for a 12-team playoff. If they're the second-best team in the SEC East and they're a 10-win SEC team, they'll be in there. And if they're eight or nine, they'll just miss out, and they'll be like, man, we'll get them next year. Not, we're firing our coach, you know, going through this cycle. Who's lowered their expectations? I, I think tell you who did right before this season was Florida State. Now, they're they're kind of back up really quick, but, you know... It's interesting how has Oklahoma done it in just one year? Have they lowered their expectations? Has Florida? Has
2: yes, Florida yeah. right
0: there in the SEC East? You go from even when you weren't good enough to beat Alabama, they were still getting to Atlanta under Jim McElwain. You know, they Dan Mullen got them to the SEC championship game, and now you know last He's trying season, to get to a bowl. Yeah, last season ends up six and six, and then this season you're just looking at the the team that's out there, and there's. Uh, definitely I I don't hear from Florida fans that are like 10 wins let's go you know there's there seems to be a very sober acknowledgement of where this team stands in the pecking order right now
3: do you guys I think they made a mistake firing Dan Mullen and I had Florida Gator fans live it at me like oh it was horrible I'm like do you guys forget how close you were to beating Alabama to contending and I get it ended ugly and he was flirting with the Jets I get all of that but I just feel like they're a program that they would have stuck by Dan Mullen and made it to the NIL era. I think he was a perfect fit for him, offensive mind. I just I thought it was a mistake for them to get rid of Dan Mullen, and that's not like because I like him as a broadcaster now either. I just thought it was a really good fit, and I thought they were stat- they were comparing him to Georgia, which is like the Nick Saban effect. Nick Saban had so many coaches fired. Because fan bases said, oh, we, we should be that guy. And I feel like that's what Florida fans are like. We should have Kirby Smart. And the fact that he wasn't Kirby Smart and instantly having success was why they ran him off.
2: And, yeah, it's the same thing we saw in the SEC West for years with Saban because you weren't able to get past Alabama. Like re- expectations for your coaches were ridiculous and guys were getting just axed and axed and axed. And that's what's happening in the East now with Mullen. And if Bud was here, Bud would say, no, it was the right decision because they just weren't recruiting at the level they need to to win a national championship. And I think that's what they were more concerned about than anything. But I don't know. I mean, isn't do we know that Napier is an upgrade on what Dan Mullen was? Like, can we be confident in saying Florida will be better under Napier than they were under Dan Mullen? I think if you look at recruiting, there's some reason to think that that will be the case, but I don't know. I just think it's, it's an odd time in the SEC East and that everybody's just getting churned up by Georgia and it's going to be kind of a random number generator for some teams.
0: Well, let's go out West because I think we've got an example of a fan base that did lower its expectations and now it's bouncing back and that's USC. Yeah. So, or do USC fans have realistic expectations? Have they been burned by the Clay Helton era in such a deep foundational way that even they are hesitant to get way too out in front of their skis until they see it right now?
3: I think, they're, I think their expectations I think th- are realistic and raised. Yes, I think they think they have a chance to win the national title, and I think that's realistic. Do I, will I pick them? No.
2: I'm going to couch this statement by saying there are three football teams in the L.A. area. Two of them are in the NFL, and USC is the most popular of the three. USC is more popular than the Rams. It is more popular than the Chargers in that area. As far as changing their expectations, did they have any expectations when USC was bad? Because were they even paying attention? (laughs) Because that's the thing about L.A. If you're not winning, unless you're the Lakers, they just don't pay attention. It's not expectations. It's interest.
0: Listen, we have some incredible partners uh, covering USC for 24-7 sports. Uh, we have, you know, had them on time and time again. Uh, you know, Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com. I, s- I feel like I've spent a lot of time, you know, digging in on positional breakdowns for a team that went on to finish eight and four. <laughs> There was still passion there. There was just an acknowledgement that it wasn't national championship contention. But, but not I, in the Coliseum on Saturday, Chip. But you get, <laughs> but then you get. And by the way, the UCLA shade. Tom just listed three teams from the lawsuit. <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
2: okay, but like, are we going to pretend UCLA is a hugely popular football team in LA? <laughs> I
0: I think that I think that USC went down. And now they've raised them up. And I think that right now they are realistic for now. We'll see. They still got it. I mean, they are still dealing with a head coach who was in the college football playoff year after year after year, but still doesn't have a college football playoff win. So, you know, baby steps to this.
2: I will go. Oh, go ahead. I'll, another one out West. I think Utah fans have raised their expectations for the program in recent 100%. years. And another one closer to the home here, just not at the same level, Illinois fans have raised their expectations at a realistic level under the last few years under Brett Bielema. They actually are going into a season expecting good things to happen. Not competing for a Big Ten title, but we're going to win a lot of games. We're going to go bowling. That, those are expectations now, which were not expectations at this school for this program for a, probably since the 80s.
0: USC, Utah, there can only be one. Uh, will be very exciting to, to check that out. Coming up on the other side, we continue through the big old bag of mail, taking a couple questions from the chat, and how important is it to close your regular season on Rivalry Weekend with a game against a rival? Not everybody does it. We'll get into that and more next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. This question comes from Lizards. Big fan of the pod. One star for Bud, one star for Chip, one star for Tom, one star for Danny, and one star for the Ghost of Barton RIP. My question, how important is it for your program to have a true rival on Rivalry Weekend? As a UCF fan, we are moving to the Big 12 and leaving USF behind. The administration has chosen to no longer schedule USF. Is this a bad thing to break such a heated rivalry or if UCF can show consistency in the big 12, does this open the door for a better in-state rival parentheses uh, Miami who doesn't have a strong rivalry weekend game?
3: Ooh, I didn't know so it was so
2: heated between USF.
3: Is that the war on I-4? That it is, is the yeah. war on Let's I-4. Oh,
2: the just central Florida for one weekend every year is just, you know, at odds with each other. Just, or everywhere you go, UCF or USF.
0: (laughs) Well, I was brainstorming this, and the Big 12 is actually a location for a lot of examples of last week of the season is not rivalry weekend. Texas, Oklahoma, earlier in the year, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State has been at the end of the season, but it is not something that is slated every single year. TCU, I remember last game of the regular season was against uh, Iowa State. I mean, that's not even an SMU or a Baylor. So the Texas, uh, similarly, I think that has kind of just played whoever sometimes at the end of the season. Um, I don't know how – I mean, I'm speaking to you know Florida, Florida State, right? I mean, that's – does that feel like Wonderful. it is important or like a, a boost or, um, or what does it do for the fan experience?
3: Um it definitely makes it feel more tradition. That's why I don't know if you try to force it and start one that weekend just to kind of cut in there, especially if you're a program like UCF where you want to stand out. You don't want to be buried, you know, uh, along a laundry list of traditions that are going to be watched over yours. I, don't know, I was trying to because th- we also have Miami, and that doesn't feel any lesser. There's still hatred. It's still a good rivalry, and yet that's played all over yep. the map. Yeah. at different times. You know, there's never been a staple third weekend in September or whatever. You know, it's just all, it's moved around. So I don't, I think it's more important just to have the rival. It doesn't matter when it's played.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that because, I mean, you like the SEC does it to an extent. The Big Ten has really kind of done it for a long time but even inside the big 10 like you mentioned like the big 12 not doing it iowa state would probably argue that its biggest rival is iowa they play typically the second week of the year iowa would probably argue that its biggest rival is iowa state and they well they might not admit it but as far as pa- passion and like anger and that kind of stuff that you love about rivalries i would say that probably does more than iowa's black friday game against nebraska although iowa and nebraska have become pretty kind of you know with each other in recent years but like (laughs) Penn State Michigan State plays the last week of the year I don't really know any Michigan State fan that considers Penn State their biggest rival nor do I know any Penn State fans that consider Michigan State their biggest rival but they try to make it one so I think the rivalry matters when it's played probably doesn't matter but if you are like a UCF fan I kind of get the existential crisis of it all in that you're going to a new conference where you have some familiarity with Cincinnati. You have some familiarity with Houston, but you don't really have like that natural rival. So for a few years, you're kind of just going to be like, I don't know, but the good thing about this sport, one will develop.
0: So I think it's huge. I don't think you should force it, but rivalries, the big ones are regional. And here we go with me on my regional kick again. And rivalry weekend is Thanksgiving weekend. And when you've got family who have multiple schools, like when you get everybody together and there's some Gators and there's some Knolls and there's some Wolfpack and there's some Tar Heels and you're building up to the game all through the weekend, it's awesome. And I, I like that sort of family you know, holiday aspect to the rivalry weekend. Again, I don't think you should try to force it, but how important is it? I think it's got a lot of benefits just because it's so much fun from the um competition among fan base smack talk type reasons is
2: it it really a rivalry if you let the bloodlines mingle like that i don't know i don't know you know fans aren't hanging out with northwestern fans on thanksgiving weekend those families you know it's a house divided no it's it's a it's a state divided
0: listen here in the state of north carolina there's tales from the bloodiest rivalry in american (laughs) history about you know families where one brother stayed and the other brother went north to go fight for the Union. I mean, this is the house divided has long been a, a tradition uh, here, uh, at least where I'm from. I can only speak to my experience right there. Yeah,
2: that rivalry is yeah, still a, going a, 150 years later.
3: You're not a true rival until you have the license plates officially recognized by the state. House divided.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like I don't know, like if if you're showing up to Thanksgiving and like you're wearing the split football jerseys, you're not real fans. Come on. <laughs> That's right.
0: The uh, No, we need the parents who've got like one son at one and one at the other. They are the only parents. Are the One only of those kids needs wear... to be kicked
2: out of the family. Let's be, let's be, you know, <laughs> whatever happened to discipline. What's that's, what's wrong with America today. We're being too easy on our kids.
0: No, nah, parents get to wear split jerseys. No one else gets to wear split jerseys. Okay. House flag. Maybe, maybe, but split jerseys only for parents of players. All right, let's go. Uh, a or little bit or
2: Brady Quinn's sister.
0: That's true it's it's not quite parent but it was a that was a moment. family family mm-hmm. all right so chad in the chat says and this is probably us out of our depth but is it pronounced syracuse or syracuse need a podcast syracuse. syra
2: i've always gone Syrah.
3: but even like Sarah, like syrup not sear yeah it's
2: and definitely it's like not syrup.
0: syracuse yeah, yeah i would not go syracuse not
2: <laughs> syracuse
0: yeah, there's, there's got you got to respect the why. Okay, it's not Syracuse. You got to give it's the it's Y like some
2: respect love. respect the Z in Boise. Yeah, is it Nevada or Nevada? It's I Nevada all the time. It's Nevada. We had a caller yeah. yesterday
3: on the radio show from Nevada that was hot about mispronunciations. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, we said, oh, "Hey, welcome, Greg from Nevada," and he was like, "No, no, no." He's, he didn't even get his point out. He was upset about the pronunciation because <laughs> like, I always, hey, I always used be to like short. <laughs>
2: I would always intentionally go Nevada because like Nevada to me sounded too like Chicago accent. And I was always like, well, I'm just saying it Nevada cause that's how they say it around here. So it's probably Nevada. And then yeah, Nevada <laughs> locals would be like, no bro, it's Nevada. It's like, Oh, sorry. <laughs>
0: All right, um, let's uh, let's finish this one with a uh, with a happy one. I, I saw someone in, 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 who's watching us live mentioned that the do not draft list is inherently far more negative than we usually are here on the Cover Three podcast. <laughs> so let's end with a little bit of happy, a little less mean. Brett in the from uh, the Five Star Mailbag asks, "What are your simple pleasures when watching college football?" I love me all caps some random Mac game on a cold Tuesday in November. Also watching Air Raid versus Triple Option or something of that nature.
2: Yeah. Um I do enjoy small G5 conference weeknight games. It just it's they're fun. It's it's an opportunity because especially like in this job where we are tasked with kind of, you know, like when you're on a national podcast like this and you're a national writer, you are focusing more on the bigger schools. So to be able to just kind of tune into a mat game is really the only time I'm able to watch a football game and not have to worry about what I got to write or say about it. I could just sit down and watch the game and not really care about the outcome. So I enjoy that. I do enjoy those kind of matchups. You mentioned like air raids versus options. Like, yeah, all those things are fun. But also just rivalry games and stadium atmospheres. Just like one of my favorite games last year was the uh, South Carolina-Tennessee game on the weekend of the state fair, not because of the upset involved, but just because of how raucous that atmosphere was and how fun it looked to be there with what was going on. So just stuff like that.
3: Yeah, I'd say for me it's the tradition. I guess just I you know, I never care about kickoff in the NFL. Like I don't if I'm if I'm five minutes late, I'm late. But I want to see Clemson rub the rock. I want to see the uh, the band dot the eye. I want to see, you know, Chief Osceola plant the spear. Mm-hmm. It's just you, all of it, you know, it's the atmosphere is the simple pleasure for me because I don't think there's any other sport that matches it except for playoffs, you know, but during the regular season, and this will never change. Tom, <laughs> you get those unbelievable atmospheres only in college
2: until so, all the games are played at neutral sites.
0: <laughs> so, You mentioned the NFL. In the NFL, and Danny, you can speak to this, the talent gap is so much smaller. I mean, just everyone is so good that even when great players hit that next level, you're not really going to jump ahead of everybody else on the field. It is so rare, unless you are the best of your generation, that you are the one player who stands out on the field. But in college games, someone can ascend. Like, somebody can hit that next gear, and all of a sudden, they have taken a game over. Jake Hayner putting his body on the line mm-hmm. against UCLA. Harold Perkins for LSU when the offense ain't doing nothing against Arkansas, and that man had to go out there and make play after play after play after play. When we get one player who just all of a sudden just starts playing out of his mind in a good way, right? Like you're just, you're just in the flow, you're seeing everything. And all of a sudden it just stands out that like you are individually the best player on this field. That's that gives me chills because uh, I I think we don't get that at the NFL level, just because the talent gap is so much smaller. That would be a simple pleasure that I enjoy from watching college football.
2: Also the moments of stupidity. Yes. Like the dumb kind of stuff that could only happen in college football whether like, it's rules-related or if it's a game like the 3-2 Mississippi State-Auburn game, just enjoying those kind of slop fests. Nine
3: that, overtimes.
2: Yeah, like like when an <laughs> NFL horse. game is terrible, it's terrible. When a college football game is terrible, it is funny. To me, Like that's one of those simple pleasure kind of things that I think kind of separates the sport and is one of those things I genuinely enjoy.
0: Yeah, I guess the cousin of what I was mentioning is when the punter decides he's going to fake it. And yes. Just
2: when when somebody says Leroy Jenkins
3: (laughs) you know what else you don't get what you don't get in the NFL you don't get like the double cobra like exasperated like Mm -hmm. fan reactions either like they're more pissed off because they've lost money or they you know there's some kind of gambling aspect Mm -hmm. there's just a rare heartbreak in college that you don't get in the NFL because the losses
2: don't matter Like you can lose, like you could lose seven NFL games and still get to the playoffs.
3: Nick Saban's dream for the NFL. Everyone's eight and eight going into week seventeen. Storm in the field. Keep it alive. I want to start a campaign. We'll fund the five
2: hundred thousand for the SEC. I I will not match. Danny will fund the five hundred thousand for the SEC. I want no part of it. I want you to keep storming the field, but I ain't paying a dime for you to do it.
0: Listen, our, our friend is already funding European vacations. We can't, <laughs> we can't, we
2: can't ask there's him to the, take
0: on field storming just because Al and especially because it's gonna be against Alabama. You know, as the dynasty starts to crack right. a little bit, like everyone's gonna be storming the field against Alabama.
2: There's there's the PIF and there's the DVF, the Danny Vacation Fund. <laughs> My
3: oh, wife just good. keeps running that, that credit card works internationally too, as I'm noticing. <laughs>
0: Oh, we will be back on Monday with more of our drafts. The next one is the Oklahoma drill draft, offensive line, defensive line, running back linebackers, putting together some of our favorites, some of our best, the coach draft coming up. and might even sneak in another one. Had a good listener suggestion. We will take into consideration and you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Canell. You can follow him at Tom Canell. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you. See ya.
1: Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever, and this time it's every competitor for themselves. The Challenge All Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.